Hey, welcome to our Public Church podcast. We hope this message blesses you today. For more information on Public Church, please see us on www.public.church. We're continuing on the series, and if you need uh, a title for a message, just for note-taking's sake, uh, the title of this message is called Nothing is As It Seems. And um, we've been diving into the Thou Shall Not series where we've been talking about um, God's Ten Commandments and that what the Ten Commandments actually mean, what they mean for us, and that the Ten Commandments were actually a liberating thing, right? So there weren't a whole bunch of rules and regulations that came from God to be like, hey, this is what you need to do to earn my love. This was what we found out from Pastor Shane was a marriage proposal. And uh, I don't know if you've realized this or not, but you don't propose to someone unless you already love them. Yeah? Okay, great. We're here. You don't propose to someone unless you love them, okay? So the Bible makes it very clear that God loved us while we were still yet sinners, which to me is the greatest risk of all time. That means that there was no guarantee that you and I were ever going to reciprocate or receive that love, but God still decided to die. And so this marriage proposal is not a condition for God to love us. He already loved us. He only proposed to somebody that you love. But what we found in this Ten Commandments was that this was establishing in the people who were hearing it, and even us today, how we are actually supposed to live. Amen? So you've got to think like slaves would have heard this. So this was liberating to a slave to hear that you can't kill anymore, which I'm going to talk about this morning, or to hear that you can't steal anymore, which we're going to talk a little bit about the, uh, the next week. But this was a liberating message to a group of people who were called out of slavery and into the promised land. You've got to understand that when God called them out of slavery and into the promised land, it was with one motive in mind, and it was that the surrounding nations and people would see this group and say, I want to know their God. I wonder if this morning people would see your life and say, I want to know their God. I want to know why they're passionate. I want to know why they're gracious. I want to know why they're always hopeful. That's the goal, right? Isn't it? Amen? Talk back to me. Isn't that the goal? That people would see your life and go, man, what is it about that person? The Bible says it like this, that people would taste and see that the Lord is good. So we have to assess the type of fruit that we're producing. That's why every single time we're at the coffee shop, even if the coffee is bad, we're smiling and saying, you're awesome. (laughs) Am I lying? No, I'm infusing encouragement into that person and I will not go back again. (laughs) That's why we're called to be that. We are salt and light. Another way to put it is that we are seasoning agents. Wherever we go, we're meant to... Who likes salt, by the way? Someone, I, I know someone, I'm not going to call them out, but I, someone made eggs once and they didn't put salt on the eggs. And they know who I'm talking about, but I'm not going to call them out. I'm not, because it's a, there's 1% of people in the world that don't put salt on eggs, okay? 1%. 1%. It's Mayella. <laughs> didn't put salt on eggs. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with you? I couldn't think of anything worse. And then to make it even worse, actually, they didn't even put pepper on it. I was like, Mayella. We're called to make bland things taste good, okay? So please, if you take anything from this message today, salt your eggs. Um, two, two, two commands that we're going through today. Um, if you've got your Bibles, uh, Exodus 20, and um, we're going to do 13 and 14, and it's you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery, 
interesting, probably something that we can sort of skim over. I, just in terms of this title, Nothing Is As It Seems, I remember when I was about 10 years old and I ran into the Macca's bathroom, I needed to wash something off my face, and I pulled my eyelids down because there was something stuck in my eye, and I noticed something that I had never seen before, and there were two holes in my eye, two holes. And I remember I ran to my mum saying, what the hell is going on? I've got two gaping holes in my eye. Now, I grew up in a family where was, everything was quite paranoia, full of paranoia. So I was like, what have I got? <laughs> Diagnose me now. And mom's like, Isaiah, they're tear ducts. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, so that's where the, the, the water, yeah, okay. Nothing is as it seems. I thought at that point that there we go, there's, there's holes in my eye. Or I remember even when we had Christmas a couple of years ago, Renee and I, we had Christmas with our family and we're, we're distributing the presents and, and mum, she's like the, the hostess at an at a, at a, at a airline and she's bringing the presents and she'll give it to you and, and she'll let you know if you can rip that one or you peel that one. To rip that one is to mean we'll disregard the paper. To peel that one means that's expensive paper and I'm going to reuse that one. And so she said to rip that one and so I ripped it and there was a Bose speaker now, Bose speakers are amazing, by the way. Great quality, solid engineering. And uh, it was one of the big ones. Like, and I was like, Mum, really, you didn't have to do this. Like, this is too much, but really, you're like, yes. Um, and I opened it up, and to my horror, inside of the box, there was an imposter. It wasn't a Bose speaker at all. There was napkins and, and house things. And I was like, what is this? Nothing is as it seems. I thought this was a fantastic speaker, and it was a whole bunch of... Now, let me get... Okay, I appreciate the thousand thread count tea towels, because, you know, they're meant to help not burn yourself, but we've already established that that doesn't help, but it still burns herself. Like, fantastic, thanks, Mum, for that, but nothing was as it seemed. I thought that this was going to be a great gift of... But then she redeemed herself the next year, and she got me in. And um, just because she saw the horror in my face... But nothing is as it seems, as, as well as when we read sort of the Ten Commandments and we look at things like, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, we could be like, hey, don't do that and let's roll out. Because most of us would say in this room, I haven't killed anyone, I haven't even really thought about killing somebody, so I can sort of move on from this. But nothing is as it seems. We've already established that this is not rules in which we thought this was a way to live. And in the same way that they're saying, you shall not murder, can I just promise you right now, you are going to leave here feeling like you need to make an application point in your life to guard your heart. The Bible says above all else, listen to me, above everything else, we have to guard our heart because out of it flows the issues of life. And so we might not murder physically, but how many of you know we can murder verbally? We can murder within our words, the way that we can sometimes, maybe not accidentally, maybe it's just in human nature where we strip somebody's dignity from them in our words. See, we can look at this and go, well, Isaiah, come on, I'm not a murderer. I haven't even thought about that. But I wanna, I wanna talk to you a little bit this morning about what this actually means and how we can apply this to our lives. When the Bible says you shall not murder or you shall not kill, there's two different Hebrew words. It's gonna be on the screen here. Uh, and the first one we've got, rasak which is to take someone's life for your own purpose. The other one is harag, which is war or, or self-defense or accidents, right? Now, you can probably imagine what this particular word kill means in here. This is the top one, right? This is rasak, which is to take someone's life for your own purposes, to take someone's life for your own purposes. So to do that, you would have to make up in your mind, listen to me, that you have elevated yourself above that person that I am more important than that person, 
that I will take their life for my own purposes. In other words, what we have done in order to get from um, thinking it to doing it is we have established that we are more important than the next person. How many know what I'm getting at right now? We've established that we are more important than the next person. Here's some facts. According to a recent study, only 1% of murderers are cold-blooded. Only 1%, which I might thank God, because I watch a lot of Law and Order. (laughs) It's so I'm paranoid all the time, right? Thank God there's only 1%. The other 99% is premeditated. There is an existing relationship that happened, right? The other 99% that they knew that person. And the other 99% is there was obviously something of undealtness in somebody's heart in order to do the extreme, which is to take somebody's life. But anger is never really the real deal. Anger is always the secondary emotion. Let me, let me prove it to you. A lot of good people commit crimes. How many of you know that? Have you committed a crime? <laughs> Everyone's like, what is that, yes or no? <laughs> Sped. I remember, uh, don't worry, let's keep moving on. <laughs> um, a lot of good people commit crimes and they end up in jail. Good people commit crimes and end up in jail. And some of the reasons are this. Well, two of the main reasons. Two of the main reasons are this. The first one is alcohol. The first one is alcohol. And, and you know the term that uh, I was so out of my mind or I was so intoxicated that I did something that I would never do in my right mind. How many know what I'm talking about? Sped way too fast, done something that you would never do in your right mind. And the second one is anger, which is to be drunk with rage. To be drunk with rage, to be overcome by rage. The, some science is when, when, when we get drunk with rage or angry, all of the blood leaves our brain and goes to defend ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been like so angry? Like, and God has given us that so that we can act in self-defense, so that we can defend ourselves, right? But I want to ask you this question. When is the last time you said something intelligent, angry? You haven't. Even if you're like, nah, I did. You didn't. You definitely didn't. That science says that 25% of IQ is lost when we're drunk with rage. That's why sometimes men, you can relate, where you're angry, you can't even formulate words. It's grunts. Ugh, you know? So what are you saying? I don't even know. This, this is the problem with anger and the application point today around this whole idea of us not murdering is this. What is brewing in our heart that can result in anger? What, what is brewing in our heart that can actually result in anger. And we've already established today that we're not just talking about physical murder. We're talking about verbal murder. And that murder seems a little bit extreme, but this whole idea of kill or whatever is to literally put yourself above the person that you're angry with. And so when we read, you shall not murder, we can say, Isaiah, that's not me. But can I promise you something? We can apply this to our lives 100%. Do you hear me this morning? We can apply this to our lives 100%. Jesus defines murder as something far bigger than taking a life. Let's look at this scripture. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. This is Jesus speaking. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, 
if you are even angry, listen to this, are you, if, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. What is it in us that sort of, what is, what is it that was, that's within us that sort of laughs at maybe the calamity or the struggle of somebody that we're struggling with? What is that in us that sort of, it's almost the tall poppy syndrome where there's something innately in us that sort of not smirks, but we're not super, like we're not super happy that something bad's happening to that person. But there's all this sort of thing where we've sort of go, hmm. Oh, there's a couple of Christians that are like, yeah, that's me. It's sort of like we go, hmm, yeah, serves them right. Shouldn't have done this. Shouldn't have done that. Yeah, they looked at me bad. Super easy to apply this in our lives. And, and this comes in the form of, listen, sarcasm. We're Aussies. We're bad at it. Humor, right? Cold shoulder, which is basically saying my world would be better if you weren't in it. Have you ever been cold shouldered before? Couple people? I have. It's the worst. It's like, what did I do? You start looking, like, what have I done wrong? And so what God is challenging you and I to do this morning, today at church, is that we would value the image of God in every single person. Do you hear me? That we would value the image of God in every person and that we would not strip the dignity of somebody with our words and that we would not strip the dignity of somebody within our hearts. And it is so easy to do. Somebody offended me and I feel like I have the right to be in this position. But we've already known that murder is not necessarily something that we do physically. It starts in our heart. And what brews in our heart can be an action. And, and this, is, this is one of the things, and, and, and this, is, this is something that we have to look at. It can form, form in many different ways, but, but one of the things that it does is, it, 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 I guess psychologists would call it the vengeance cycle, right? And we're all, we're all subject to this. Now, if you stay with me this morning, this is a public project, so it's a bit, it, we've got a little bit more information, we're diving a little bit more deep this morning, but stay with me. The vengeance cycle begins with anger. It begins, and I think we've got it on the screen here, have we? Yeah, great. It begins with anger. Someone is in the way or has wronged you. Anger wells up and you got a choice. Listen to me. When that happens, you either deal with it or it deals with you. You either deal with it at that moment or I promise you, it's going to deal with you. It's going to come out in your attitude towards that person. It's going to come out in your attitude towards your spouse is going to come out in your attitude towards your work. How many of you know when this sort of stuff happens, I can't escape it. It's like in the front of my mind. And some of you are really stubborn. You're like me. Where you're like, no, no, I'm sweet. I can still function. I'm still productive. No, actually, you know what? It's fuel. Stop it. Stop it. It's not fuel at all. And in fact, what it is, is it's brewing in our hearts. So we've got anger. Then it moves to content. It moves to contempt, and that's just our, the cold shoulder. It's like, oh, that person. Then there's an established belief system that happens where we literally, listen to this, we sincerely believe that our world would be better if that person wasn't in it. If you've gone from anger and you haven't dealt with it, and you're all the way up until here where it's a belief system, let me promise you, it's dealing with you. That's why the scriptures make it very clear. Above all else, guard your 
Say it with me. Above all else, God's your? That is the primary position that we need to have as Christians. Because although we might not murder physically, Jesus even says if you're angry, if you're angry, you are subject to judgment. And why? Because Jesus knows that anger might seem like a little thing, but it is a slippery slope. It is a slippery slope. So Jesus is basically saying, hey, you heard not to murder. I'm telling you, don't be angry. Because if you do, this is the vengeance cycle. Now, now, listen to this. The person who's offended us now is worthless. You'll go, Isaiah, come on, that's extreme. Worthless? I don't think that. No, but what you may think is that they are worth less than you. They might not be worthless, but they might be worth less than you. Oh my goodness. Now, now you are well and truly down the slide of the vengeance cycle. Okay, moving on here. Now it's having the attitude that this person doesn't deserve to be in existence. But Isaiah, come on, that's not me. How many of you prayed and believed God that that person that said that thing would just get out of your way, move cities, change jobs, move churches? Hello? How many of you wish that? Not in my team, not in my squad, not in my living room, not here. But how many of you felt that? Oh, it's quiet, but that's okay. So now we've got someone needs to hurt that person. Kill them, extreme, I know, but for the purposes of the you shall not murder, let's just say it, right? Or desecrate their character. And then we move on to I'll carry it out myself, which obviously in this point, we're not necessarily talking about the physical act, but we're talking about the verbal You see, we might think that anger is not such a big deal. But this is why Jesus says at the beginning of everything, you've heard it said not to kill. I challenge you today, don't have anger in your heart. Why? Because it is a very, very slippery slope. Jesus deals with the vengeance cycle. He says this, if you hold anger in your heart, you're liable to judgment. He says if you can think you're better than anybody else, you're liable to the high judgment, right? And if you think you can cross the line and call somebody a fool, then you're down the slippery, slippery slope. There's a slope, and I think I've got it on the screen here. There's a slope. Anger starts, contempt, rage, worthless ending of life. Now, we might not be necessarily talking about murder physically, but ending that person in the sense of desecrating their character. This is what happens when we can get angry. Deal with it, people or it'll deal with you, promise you, promise you. And if you're far down that slippery slope, I promise you today that he can make all things new, amen? I promise you today that he can take away that thorn that is in your heart towards somebody else. He can make those bitter waters sweet once again. All it requires from us is to say, God, I give it to you. Come on, I've been hurt before. It doesn't justify the hurt but I cannot afford to carry anger in my heart towards anybody. And as I'm speaking, I promise you today, the Holy Spirit's gonna make people come up into your mind that you need to forgive, that you need to let go. We can't carry it anymore. Pastor Renee spoke an incredible word last week about taking it on to the generations. We we have a job to do for the next generation. I don't wanna carry this on. And if I do carry it on, that that I can't stand this person, what am I passing on to my children? What am I passing on to the environments that I'm in? Now, all of a sudden, we've got 
a young girl that hates this person. How did that happen? Because you didn't deal with anger. Anger dealt with you. So it's important if you do it in your heart, and this is another thing that Jesus is talking now about heart issues. If you do it in your heart, you are just as guilty as if you do it with your hands. But Isaiah, come on. No, let's look about this. The best life that Jesus is presenting is around not being angry, is that we don't have a slope at all. We don't have a slope at all. None. That's why he says, don't be angry. You've heard of this, don't be that. So listen to this though, because if we do it in our heart, we're just as guilty as if we do it in our hands. Listen to this. You heard your boss isn't happy with you. You heard it. That changes everything, doesn't it? It changes how you interact with your boss. It changes how you work as, a, as an employee. It changes it, doesn't it? Because you heard that they're not happy with you. It began as a, you heard it, it's now established in your imagination, and now it's changing the way that you operate. Here's one. You heard that he has feelings for you. You heard it. Ephrat, settle down. <laughs> oh my goodness. He's in Bible college. Just settle down. <laughs> you heard, you heard that he has feelings towards you. Doesn't that change everything? Oh, girls, doesn't it? You either start drawing boundaries or you either start saying, oh, you know, if we're in a car, there's a whole crew rolling with us. I just don't feel the same way. It changes everything. What has that said? It said, whatever we, we can imagine, it's true. Whatever we hear, it becomes true within our hearts. That's why it's so important to protect the unseen stuff rather than just hearing this as you shall not murder and walk away going, I'm sweet, I'm never going to kill somebody. Very, very important. Very important. Okay, so what ways can we, what ways can we kill in our hearts? Or mur- it's so heavy, the word kill and murder, but it's Bible, so deal with it. There's, what, what are ways that we can do it? Websites, right? Websites. There's whole blogs written about pastors right? There's whole blogs written about people. Websites, gossip, mocking, sarcasm, slander, being a busybody. (laughs) Can I go there this morning? Three people. Can I go there this morning? Thank goodness. Uh, Because if you just said no, I would still do it. Um, (laughs) 1 Peter 4 verse 15 says, if you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. People, we have to mind our own business. Do you understand? Someone's laughing. It's so true though, right? Like we have to mind our own business. I don't know what it is about Christians that think you have the right to pry into other people's business. Some of you are feeling relieved right now. I thought I was the only one that thought this was not right. Do you know, and I get asked the most personal questions you would ever ask. Like, it's just funny. Like, we're not like, oh, so bitter about it. We just go, here we go. (laughs) There's a question coming. Here we go. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But Peter says that prying into other people's businesses, listen to this, why does he mix it in in the same category as murder and theft? This is extreme. Why would he do that? Because what I'm saying with prying into somebody else's business is I respect myself more than I respect you. I'm actually taking the dignity away from somebody else because I see myself higher than you. 
And if we are to be Christ followers, we have to understand that we are not higher than anybody else. In fact, we are the lowest of lows. We are the servants to the world. We are helpful to the helpless. That is what we're called to do. And so it's very important. So if you're the type of person that asks 50 questions, change that. Stop asking 50 questions and start affirming with 50 statements. You're awesome. You're cared. You're loved. You're valuable. Change the narrative. Change the scope. Why? Because we know that murder is not just something that we do physically. It actually begins in the heart. Begins in the heart. And so two application points that we can do here. The first one is can we treat everybody with dignity? Is that an amen? Can we treat everyone with dignity? That means the homeless guy that can offer you nothing back. I was in Melbourne recently and I was eating at a restaurant. (laughs) I was trying to say the name and I forgot the name of the restaurant. I was eating at this restaurant. It's great, great Chinese food or whatever. Fusion, Asian, Japanese fusion food. And uh, a guy rolls up and, and is like, hey, can I have some money? And I'm like, bro, I actually don't carry any cash, which I feel like I need to start carrying cash. But anyway, I don't carry any cash. Anyway, who, you know what? I'm worried because some places I go to don't accept cash anyway. Anyway, that's another topic for another day. <laughs> I'm like, I don't carry cash. Sorry, bro, I, I have nothing. I promise you this. He pulls out an FPOS machine. I'm like, bro, take my money right now. Like, that was fantastic. This homeless guy, what, what are we talking about here? Everybody in this world deserves dignity. Everybody. Everybody. Even the guy who pulls out an FPOS machine, fully charged, ready to go. I was so shook. I was like, you know what? You can have whatever you put in. No, I didn't say that. Application point, listen to me. Can we treat everybody with dignity? Can we just say that as Public Church Brisbane? Can we treat everybody with dignity? The people that don't deserve it. The people that have offended you. The people that maybe don't deserve the dignity. Can we give people dignity? Can we restore back to them the image of God? A way that you can do this, just practically, is that everybody you see, you see with intrinsic value and intrinsic worth. Why? Because they were made in the image of God. You were made in the image of God. You're a child of God. That, 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 is who, that is one application point. And the next one is that every single person matters. Do you understand? Everybody matters. Not just the people that can do something for you. Everybody matters. Every single person matters. I'm going to get the keys up, and I'm going to quickly just go on this, this, this one because it sort of is tied into one. How am I doing with time? Not bad. Okay, really quickly. Um, it is this, right? Um, the, next, the next one is that we should not commit adultery. And, and this ties in beautifully with what we're talking about because this is something within the heart. Again, we can read these and just go, okay, well, I'm not going to cheat on my wife or husband and I'm not going to kill somebody, but it's so much deeper than that. When, when they say that we shall not commit adultery, listen to me really quickly, zone in. This is what he's saying. This is what the, the writer's saying, that we would not sabotage the oneness that God has created in this world. Do you understand? This whole idea of, this whole idea of um, even in Deuteronomy, it says this. Listen to this really quickly. Um, where are we? Deuteronomy. Where are we? Uh, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Is it up on the screen there? Yeah, fantastic. Listen to this. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. This word one is the, is the Hebrew word for ekad, which is simply this. It is unity within diversity. This is who God is is. And so anything that we do that sabotages oneness 
is what the writer's talking about here, or God's command is talking about here when it says, you shall not commit adultery. Do you know that we are created, listen to me, in the image of God, and this whole idea of oneness, we, we crave, hear me, we crave unity. We crave oneness. Do you know why we crave it? Because we were made from somebody who is it. Unity in diversity. Uh, I'll put it this way. I can, you know what I'm talking about, husbands. If your wife is angry at you, she doesn't even need to say anything. <laughs> you can feel it. I remember that many times. <laughs> I remember when I was said to my wife, I was like, I'm coming home soon, I'll see you soon. She's like, yeah, dinner's ready. It's when we first got married. I learned a lesson really quickly. I'll see you soon. I'm just with the boys. Oh gosh, the boys. <laughs> Not a bachelor anymore, Isaiah. Just with the boys. And like, I was like, yeah, I'll be home in half an hour. It was like two hours later. And I walked into my house. Now, Cairns has a low of 28. And it was a chilly house. <laughs> it was cold. I could feel it. Why? Why, is, why is it that we can feel it? We can feel tension. We can feel strife. We can feel division. Because in essence, we're called to be one. You can feel division in churches or different things like that because we're called to be one. And so when God says through Moses, hey, do not commit adultery, it's far more above the, the sexual act with a partner. It's way bigger than that. What it is, it's saying, do not sabotage the oneness. Do not sabotage the oneness. And we can do that in all areas of our life. Do not sabotage oneness. This is what I feel that we are going to do this morning before we get into baptisms and talking. And is that this, I felt like two application points with this message is this, is that there are people in this room that need to cancel the debt. Somebody has wronged you. Somebody has hurt you. You have unforgiveness towards somebody. You need to cancel the debt. Stop pretending that you can drive forward, still looking backward. You cannot. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, I promise you, this is what's going to happen. He's going to take that thing away from you. All it requires from my end is, God, I surrender it to you. Some, some of you are carrying hurt and unforgiveness for years, decades. Hey, can we just make the decision that we're not going to take this into the next generation? I'm not going to take this into my tomorrow. God, I believe that you can deal with it now. We're going to cancel the debt. That's the first thing that we're going to do. And then we're also with this idea of oneness. Maybe, maybe you feel fractured. Maybe you feel like, uh, I don't feel the oneness. I feel like there are things in my life that have happened that have sabotaged the oneness that is in my life. And, and I don't feel like a whole person. I feel like a cracked person. The Bible says this in Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. We all have cracks, but can I tell you something? The great potter, he can fix and smooth all of those cracks once again. Again, what does it require from me? Surrender. God, surrender. Today, we're going to cancel debts. And today, we're going to surrender to the potter. Say, God, I feel cracked and fragile, but I know that you can smooth me out, make me whole make me one again. Can we stand to our feet right across this place? Just in the presence of God. Amazing. I'm going to do something different. I felt to do something different this morning. And um, this is different, but it's so normal, right? Um, we're going to open up the altar call. And we're going to pray for people this morning. Um, I don't want you to miss this moment in your journey of cancelling debt. 
Do you understand me this morning? Everybody understand me? I don't want you to miss this moment of canceling debt, canceling hurt. We've already found that in the scriptures when we choose not to do that. It is a slippery slope. Don't fool yourself this morning that I can continue to do what I'm called to do. Can we surrender to God this morning and say, God, would you take it away? I'm gonna get the house lights down and I'd love it if everybody just could close their eyes. I'm gonna pray for you. Then I'm gonna um, ask if there's anybody here that would like that prayer. We've got our pastors here that wanna pray for you um, in this moment. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here. We're aware of your presence and God, we are aware that you can make all things new. God, I pray for every person in this room Lord, that has a debt. Even now you bring into their mind debts, debts. God, the whole idea of the commandments is that people would walk in freedom. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you were gonna set people free today. God, we're actually not gonna wait till tomorrow or wait till the next conference. God, we're gonna right now say, God, I wanna cancel the debt. I'm gonna cancel the wrong. And God, I'm going to surrender to you. And Lord, I just pray right across this place that you would give people the courage to draw near to you, that you would give people the courage to say, that's me.